Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, there is a sermon that Jesus preached that's called the Sermon on the What? Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is almost I mean, impossible to overestimate just the profound nature of that dialogue. Really the longest set of teaching, I believe, in Scripture, uh, just back to back from Jesus. It is really his fullest exposition of the moral and ethical life the religious world leaders, even those that are opposed to Christianity, would many of them be in agreement that there is nothing ever that has been spoken that equals the ethical standard, the beautiful picture of life and what it's to be like as compared to that which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Here's what a world leader said. Harry S. Truman, I, don't, I do not believe that there is a problem in this country or world today which could not be settled if approached through the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. John Stott, an incredible theologian, of our day, said the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus, arguably the least understood, and certainly the least obeyed. C.S. Lewis, maybe one of the most quotable guys of the last couple of hundred years, said this, when asked if he cared for or liked the Sermon on the Mount. As to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of the man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, they are truly amazing. I'm not going to preach the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I probably wouldn't finish until next summer if I tried to do that. You know how I preach, right? What I want to do, though, is I want to go to his concluding statement in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 29. And I want us to spend this morning looking at what Jesus says as he concludes this greatest of discourses. Matthew 7, 24 to 29. 
you have your Bibles, please follow along. If not, we'll have it on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, be sure to see one of the elders or one of the ushers or greeters before you leave and we'll get you one. We want you to have a Bible. Matthew seven twenty four. Jesus concludes by saying this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What I want to do as I begin here in looking at this incredible concluding statement of this powerful discourse, I just want to ask and answer the question, What is Jesus giving us here? What key is he giving us here in this final statement? And here it is. He is giving us the key to living a life that is an undefeatable or an all-conquering life. A life that rises above or moves through or perseveres and ends up victorious regardless of what comes against it. Do you see that idea here? In this contrast that he makes of these two builders of two houses, the point he is making is there is a way to build your life upon something that will make it undefeatable, all-conquering. Do you know that Jesus wants that for us? John 10.10 says he came that he could give us life and give it to the full or give it abundantly. And that's an eternal abundance. That's a life that forever is not being diminished, but it's being incredibly repaired plenished and expanded eternally. It's an all-conquering life. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look closely at what Jesus says here and see if we can find the help that we need to build that kind of a life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Let's look at that verse again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The subject in focus here is a 
foundation. Do you see that? It is a foundation for life. But before Jesus gives any specifics about the foundation, he gives a prerequisite. Do you hear it here in his statement? Before he talks about that life, the specifics of that foundation, he says something must take place. Before one brick of life can be built upon that foundation, that solid foundation. And here it is. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. This is a condition. It's the prerequisite. You see, in order to build your life like this wise builder on a solid foundation of rock on an unmovable foundation that will make it an undefeatable life, it has to be built on the truth about Jesus Christ. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. There's a direct connection between the rock you build on and the truth of Jesus Christ. You have to hear the truth of Jesus Christ in order to build on the rock. Don't miss that in verse 27. And do you know what the Bible calls the truth about Jesus Christ? It calls it the good, church, the good, the good news. The good news. Ladies and gentlemen, the world needs to hear the good news. You know, we can do, we can do at least one of two things as followers of Jesus Christ. If you're a son or a daughter of God, follower of Jesus Christ, we can do one of two things kind of on the extreme. Let me just paint them for you an extreme example. Here, we can either be those that look at a decadent, sinful society and we turn up our noses at it, we look in judgment upon it, and we thereby contribute to the problem. Or we can take a very different approach, and that is that we can apply the truth of Jesus to the mess. We can give the message that takes care of the mess. You see, those that hear the truth of Jesus can build their life on the rock. They can't unless they hear the truth about Jesus Christ. So we can look at the world and its brokenness and condemn it, or we can in compassion communicate the one thing that can make the difference to the world. You see, let me just say it this way to maybe drive the point a little deeper. Maybe the problem is not the sinful world. Maybe the problem is the silent church. Romans 1.16, Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone 
who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You want to make a difference in the messed up world? They need the good news message of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel Paul was not ashamed of. So what needs to happen? Listen again, Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, I know what you're thinking. Glad you said that preaching part. That means just you, Brad, none of us, right? No, 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 no. What it means there is that every follower of Jesus Christ that has received the good news has been given the command by Jesus to be a proclaimer of the good news that has saved them, not to hoard it as a reservoir, but to be a river of the grace that was so abundantly poured into them. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't give us any other alternative ways. He doesn't send a blimp over every month, over every country to communicate the good news. He doesn't send a heavenogram to everybody's mailbox. He says to his followers, go and share the good news of Jesus with those who so desperately need it so that they can have their life built on what lasts, what endures, what perseveres, what conquers. Followers of Jesus must go and tell if the world's going to hear and believe. That's just the way he set it up. So therefore, the church should not be a place of condemnation. The church should be a place of communication where the news is always the good news of Jesus. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Two storms. Look at them, please. Two storms. Verse 25 and verse 27. Verse 25, the wise builder built a house, and look what happened. The storm came and, quote, beat against that house. Verse 27, the foolish builder built a house, and the storm came, quote, and beat against that house. House, two storms. And two builders. Wise builder and a foolish builder. And two houses. One built upon the rock, one built upon the sand. I want you to notice, first of all, and let me just... Make this very clear, very explicit. The Word of God says what the Word of God says for very specific reasons. It was inspired by a divine God, a perfect, all-knowing God, so that He can communicate very clearly specific truth that He wants us to hear. And I want you to notice here, that the storms were identical. Do you see that? The storm that came against the wise 
man's house? Listen. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And the storm that came against the foolish builder's house, verse 27, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. Is there any difference in the description of the storm that hit the wise house and the foolish house? Any difference? None. None. Here's the point. Those who build their life upon the Truth of Jesus Christ are not immune to life's problems. We don't get a free get out of jail card. We don't get an immunity to the problems of life. In fact, the Lord says, He promises that there's going to be storms. God tells us that in His Word. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many? All. This warning about the storms of life is not meant to discourage you. It is meant to develop you. It is Jesus who loves us so much that is telling us about how to handle the storms of life. That's what he's doing here. He knows they're going to come. Even if you love him deeply, he knows they're going to come and he's telling us how to handle the storms of life and not be destroyed by them. I know that there are those that say, Maybe you hear this occasionally on the radio. Actually, it's taught quite prolifically that those who are followers of Christ that really live right, man, God blesses them and makes them you know, healthy and wealthy and wise. There's just a kind of one primary problem with that idea. You know what it is? It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a flat out lie. I could give you example after example, but just look at the person of Jesus Christ. Anybody live a life better than him? Anybody suffer any more than him? And we're his followers. We're to walk in his footsteps. John 16, 33. There's a promise Jesus gave us about the storms, about the problems, but about the power as well. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation. Jesus is just telling us here that the storms of life are the stuff of life for those who are His and those who are not. But He wants to tell us here how to endure them. 
how to get through them, how to rise above them, how to be victorious regardless of their onslaught. Now, I'm just going to take a little liberty here. And I'm going to pull out each of the aspects of the storms that are mentioned here, these two storms. There's three things said about them. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew. Rain fell, flood came, and the winds blew. And I want to identify a way in which we are assailed by the storms of life and to give an aspect of how that happens related to each one of these things. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew. First of all, the rain fell. I'm calling that temptations. Here's why. Because temptations fall down upon us. They fall down upon our head. They are the fiery darts of the enemy that he shoots at us. And every single one of his temptations comes first and foremost where? It comes to your mind. Because it's in your mind that you have to deal with it and make the decision what you're going to do with that temptation. We are deluged from above by the enemy through temptation. Secondly, it says, not only did the rains come, but the floods came. The floods came. I'm calling that the tests of life. The tests of life. You see, there are tests that roll through our lives and seek to knock our feet out from under us and sweep us away in the current. It's like a flood. A flood that swells and its waters become surging and it can happen quickly and the power behind a flood can just take away everything in its path that can happen in life. You see, we're not talking about two literal structures here in the wise and foolish builder. Jesus is talking about these guys building their lives and what they built their lives on and out of. And what he is saying here is that the floods can come and just wreak havoc. What are the floods? They're the tests of life like the pink slip from the company the unfaithful spouse, the test result from the doctor, whatever it is, they can happen so quickly and they can be so powerful that those waters can come against us, just rise up around us and can knock us down and sweep us away unless there's a truth about our life. And what is that truth? We have to be built on something that the flood cannot affect. 
You see, we're drowned from below as it rises from life circumstances. So we're deluged from the enemy from above through temptation. We're drowned as the circumstances of life swell and surge around us. And then thirdly, it says that the winds blew. Rain comes down, floods come up, winds come against. The winds blew against the house. Those are the trials of life. Trials of life. Trials come from other people in our life. Trials come like the wind that pushes against the walls of our life to crush us in, to discourage us like harsh, unjustified treatment, like false accusation and slander, like the great friend that has become the foe in your life. We're blasted by the stuff around us, the world. You see, we got stuff coming from all directions. And if our life is going to withstand that kind of a storm, it's going to need something very specific. Next, I want you to look at the two builders. It's profound insight here. I don't want you to miss this. Each one of these men are engaged in building their life, and I want you to notice what Jesus leaves out. I mean, that could be an endless list, right? But if you were thinking about this comparison between a wise builder and a foolish builder, if we're just talking in the natural realm here, we would want to include things like, what kind of materials did he use to build with? What kind of a worker was he? How diligent? What kind of a work ethic did he have? What kind of a crew did he have working with him? How skilled was he and his crew? We'd want to be making those comparisons. Jesus leads all of them out. And by leaving all of them out, God is trying to teach us a very central lesson to the truth that Jesus is saying here. And it's this. All of those things are absolutely insignificant compared to the one thing. And the one thing is this. Are you built on the right foundation? That's the focus of what Jesus is saying. It doesn't matter what you put on the foundation if the foundation isn't on the right thing or of the right stuff. Because it's the foundation that gives integrity to the entire structure. 
So the worker could be very diligent and hard in his labor and try to buy all the best materials for everything above the ground. But if the foundation isn't right, it's going to be a total destruction. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. Everything that matters is the foundation. You know, in our American culture, what are some of the things that we try to focus in on as bringing security to our lives that we really want to invest in and put energy into things like the size of our portfolio, right? Man, if we get enough stored up, then we can take it easy and eat, drink, and be merry. Man, if we can really take care of our bodies and eat the right diet and do the right exercise and be physically responsible, man, that's where our security lies. Man, if I just get the right job, if I get the right position of prominence or of power, man, that's what's going to really give me security in life. What Jesus is saying here is all of that is absolutely insignificant if you don't have the right foundation. There is, matter of fact, he's saying this. Those things are absolutely 100% ineffective in doing anything to give you sustainability, to give you ultimate victory, to carry you through. They're all going down. Let me just give you an example. Drive that point home. Back in maybe 95, 96, I was doing the interim work here after six or seven years as a youth pastor here. I was filling in as interim, and I had, <clears throat> I had a college kid that came up from the lower 48, uh, going to a Christian school, studying for the youth ministry, and had him come up and work with the youth for the summer. And he planned out a youth camping trip and they gathered some vehicles and some chaperones, some college-age students, and they took the youth and they went up to connect there and drove up Jim Creek there, past Jim Creek, went to Friday Creek, up the flats there and parked beside Friday Creek, really a small river flowing out of the hills there, probably 30 feet, 40 feet across, pretty swift, silt. <clears throat> Put their tents up, parked their four-wheel drives, went to bed. One of those sponsors got up at 3 in the morning. You know, it's light in June, 3 in the morning. went outside the tent that used to be about 
30 yards from the edge of the river now had part of the tent hanging over the river. And the vehicles were in the middle of the river that they had driven back there in with the water rolling over the hood and top of the vehicles. It was what I'd call a chichaco moment, right? Looked pretty solid when he parked there, I'm sure. But it's just packed mud. And in the course of a few hours, that river cut in a brand new channel. And he found himself in a pretty desperate situation. You know, life can do that. Stuff can come in life that radically alters what you thought was dependable. The storms can rise. The rain can fall. The floods can rise. The wind can beat. And in the fury of that storm in life, everything can change in a moment. And what you desperately need is you need to make sure that your life is built upon the foundation that no storm can change. You see, what Jesus is telling us here is there really is only two. You don't have a smorgasbord of options here. There is the rock and the sand, meaning there is the immovable, grounded, safe foundation and everything else that is not. Just two. So that That's why he leaves out all of the extra stuff and says, if you don't have your foundation on the rock, nothing else matters because it's all going to be taken away, destroyed, defeated by the storms of life. You will not be able to secure it. You will not be able to win the battle. There's only one way that can happen. It's if your life is built on the rock. And what is the rock? It's the truth about Jesus Christ. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the man that built his house on the rock. The word rock there in the Greek is Petra. And it doesn't mean a pebble. And it doesn't mean a boulder. What it means in the Greek is bedrock. I mean the entire mountain. It is not moving. It is solid. It is safe. It is secure. It is going to withstand. It's going to be there when the storm has come and gone. And if you build your life on it, so will you be. The tides in life are going to change. And that tide is going to cut a new path. What you've got to have is the rock. What is the bedrock of truth that 
Jesus is referring to here that you have to build your life upon. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. What Isaiah is saying there for the Lord is that God says, I have laid one stone that's the sure foundation, one cornerstone. It's the only hope, that cornerstone laid by God Himself. Acts chapter 4 verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So here, the stone is identified as the person of Jesus Christ Himself. He is the cornerstone. He was rejected by the builders. Who were the builders? They were the Jewish religious leaders. And they rejected Him as the Christ, the Messiah, the promise of God. But God made Him the cornerstone. The only stone that you can build your life upon and have an undefeatable, victorious life because His life has become undefeatable and victorious. Ephesians 2.20 Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. You see, what Paul is writing there in Ephesians is that This thing that lasts is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And what is that built upon? Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone that gives structure and support to this entire foundation and the apostles' foundation And the prophet's foundation, you know what they were teaching about? They were teaching about Jesus Christ. The teaching of the New Testament is a commentary on the life and teachings of Jesus. That's what the epistles are. They are the apostles' writings about the life and the teaching of Jesus. So here's the point. There's one cornerstone. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that is going to give you a life that can stand whatever is thrown your way. And if your life is built upon Him, you are safe and secure. If it's not, you are going to be destroyed. And it's the loving Jesus with the good news that's saying, I want you to accept who I am and what I say so that you can be saved. Don't be fools. And put your focus on everything but the bedrock foundation of Jesus Christ because anything else is a foolish life. Now that is a direct message to those 
here that have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You need to do that. You need to recognize that He's the Son of God who was sent from heaven to take your sin and to pay its price so that God can now, through the death of Jesus, offer you forgiveness. Not because He turned His back on sin, but because sin's been paid for in His Son so that He can, if you put your faith in His Son, He can justifiably forgive you and say the penalty has already been paid. But if you don't put your faith in His Son, His holiness demands, demands, demands based upon His very character that your sin be punished forever. So Jesus Christ came with good news. He came to seek and save the lost. And He did that by going to the cross and paying the penalty, absorbing the wrath of God for your sin. Will you accept Him? But this is also for you who are sons and daughters of God. Because you can have Jesus as your foundation and then say, well, I'm I'm in. I'm just going to go about my own stuff now. No, you're supposed to hear and obey the teachings of Jesus. That's what he says in that opening statement. You keep building your life upon that foundation. And how do you do that? You take another brick of the truth that Jesus gave and the obedience is the mortar between the bricks of truth and you keep building and building your life upon the solid foundation of Jesus Christ by taking His truth and applying it. Taking His truth and applying it and you keep building that life for the glory of God. Some of you need to do that that some of you've got distracted some of you have a dose of truth Sunday morning from 11:30 to 1 and you binge and then you fast for 6 days and then you binge and then you fast don't do that that is not healthy What you need to do is continue in His Word. And we had men that gave their lives to translate the Word like our brother and sister back here so that we could have it and read from it ourselves so that the Word of God could be put into every plowboy's hands. Hallelujah. Don't take it for granted. Would you please stand? Just notice, we're going to pray in just a moment here, but just notice the result. We've looked at the two Builders, the two houses, the two storms, and two results. Oh, how radically different they are. 
the wise builder who built on the rock his house, quote, did not fall. The foolish builder who built on the sand his house fell, quote, fell and great was the fall of it. You see, one experienced total destruction. The other was indestructible. One, the first was unaffected. The second was irreparable. Radical different result. And it's all based upon one truth. It's Jesus. Are you building your life upon the person of Jesus Christ? He is your only hope. That video that we saw all about hope, hope is here. The reason hope is here, you remember the last word? It's because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He is the only hope for the world. He's the only hope for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Jesus, thank you so much for these profound words and this loving good news message. It has the warning in it, yes, but it has the hope in it, the undefeatable hope of a life that conquers all through the all-conquering power that you displayed. Thank you for that. You're here this morning. I, you want to accept Jesus. You want to build your life upon the rock, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, knowing that that is the only hope that you have. You can do that this morning. Matter of fact, if you are realizing right now that your life has been built upon the sand and not upon the rock of Jesus, the reason you're realizing that is because the Spirit of God is showing that to you. He's calling you to Christ. That's you. You can just pray something like this. It's not the words, it's the heart that matters. Pray something like, this, Jesus, I do believe that you are the very Son of God. That you left heaven and came down here with the mission to take my sin in your flesh, nail it to the cross, pay its penalty, so that through you and you alone, I could receive the very righteousness of God. I recognize that I am a sinner. I don't deserve that free gift of grace. But it's a gift. I don't have to deserve it. You died to give it and I accept it. In faith, trusting in you and you alone. And I ask you to give me your spirit to live in me and help me build my life brick by brick, obedience by obedience upon the rock of Jesus. God, for those of us who've gotten distracted and kind of just sliding by, 
Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. I pray that you would give us a passion for your truth, a passion for your glory, that our lives would become testimonies to your glory as we live a life that withstands whatever comes our way because of the unconquering power of Christ in us. Do it, I pray, in Jesus' name.